Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 2, The Search, Part 2, teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and directed by the, none other than the wonderful Jonathan Frakes. This episode aired on October 3rd, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, Odo learns about his people while on his homeworld. Back on the station, Sisko discovered that the, the price the Federation is willing to pay for peace with Dominion may be too damn high. <laughs> I love the use of damn um, added to my uh, little blurb there because when Sisko, when Sisko, Jesus, when Avery Book says that one line reading of like, the price is just too damn high. I was thinking, like, the rent is too damn high, like, political party in New York City. Um, and I also thought that that line rating was very good. I just, Avery Brooks is really good in this episode. Well, and I'm sure we'll, like, get into it, like, a little bit more, because that's, that's the whole thing we do. <laughs> um, but just, like the real like heightened stakes of like the station plot it just like really i think fits avery's wheelhouse for being this kind of melodramatic like shakespearean type like actor just like really i think plays to like a lot of his strengths and it's like yeah it's 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 rad um well Avery's performance is rad. I don't know if I think this episode is rad, to be completely honest. Um, yeah, I had I had some mixed feelings as well. <laughs> but we'll we'll start our initial thoughts section the way we start most of our initial thoughts sections. Elise, did you remember this episode, and did you remember the twist? Um, I definitely didn't remember either. Th- I mean, I knew that Odo like met his people, like that. Yeah, and you knew who they were, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I knew yeah. that. They like were, that like, twist you remembered that yeah. they were the found. I knew that they were the founders. I didn't remember the twist that like it was all a dream. I used to read <laughs> Word Up magazine, heavy deep. No, I'm just not. I'm not gonna rap on this podcast because that is extremely cringy. But what well, when? That whole when I was writing my notes and I said it was all a dream, I started singing um, "Juicy" by Biggie. So, well, you're my um, second favorite Jewish rapper of after Yahoo, So, <laughs> if you want to rap, please go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know if people know this about me, but '90s hip hop is something that is just something ugh, very important to me. Um, love it. So, yeah, great stuff. Um, yes, the, the, yeah. the mean streets of suburban New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm not. <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> joking when I say this. I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking that I was born in Brooklyn, but I'm joking like claiming it. <laughs> I only lived there till age like two and a half, so definitely did not. I'm. I wouldn't say I'm from there. Um, but yeah. And then you didn't sleep again for the rest of your life after you moved out. Yeah. <laughs> so you had I no sleep. very well, thank Brooklyn. you. Um, um yeah. I mean, like, I definitely have slept in Brooklyn since then. So, you know, I've slept Humble on occasion. brag. <laughs> I mean, my whole family still, like, my grandparents, my grandfather lived there for his, till he was, like, 80. So, I don't know. Not, 
Maybe a little earlier. So he never came. He came to New Jersey like really late. Anywho. Um, yeah. So I didn't remember the twist <laughs> of the Sorry. dream. You're fine. Um, but I it was funny, though, because I I watched the episode twice as I am normally doing. And did you forget so many... it between viewings? <laughs> Being as though it was 12 hours later, I did not between viewings the first time i watched it was last night and the second time was this morning Mm -hmm. but um there were so many clues throughout the episode like on second watch like dax and o'brien just showing up fine when um after cisco and bashir kind of wake up um and kira saying they've only been on odo's homeworld for a few hours and like we open the episode where cisco's commander's log says it's been six days since the whole defiant incident like things don't really line up and i didn't think about it when i was watching it last night but then this morning i was like oh that's funny it doesn't really add up does it yeah no those are that's a those are really good catches i i only watched the episode once um so I just you like you heard it here first, it. guys. Yeah. Matt is not as dedicated to this podcast as I am. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, uh, that was such a joke, and you handled it the wrong way. You're supposed to just laugh. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> look, I mean, the funny thing is, like, I remember to watch it like after you confirmed that we were still recording today and then I watched it in the bath. So like this week that's correct. You are you are more dedicated this week. I mean, um, there are many things you could have watched in the bath, so I feel like you are pretty dedicated if you thought this is what you chose to watch. Uh, I I only think there has been I don't even remember which episode it was, but there's one that like I started watching and then started doing something else and then didn't finish watching it. But we had a guest that week. Oh so like God. I wasn't, I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't too worried. Like when it's just it both prob- of us, of course I always watch it, but <laughs> as you know, Elise and, and listeners may have, may have figured out by now, typically when we have a guest, I try to like, you know, cause I get to talk to you all the time about Star Trek and our guests don't. So I like, try to like minimize as much as I, I talking as possible but i was probably really quiet that episode because i didn't finish watching it until the end um that's really funny and i have no i've never assumed while recording that you hadn't watched so good, good job in covering that up well i mean that's the benefit of like having watched some of these as as much as i have yeah Um, also you're pretty good at like pulling stuff out of your ass also at like like when like offhand and i'm just like uh i mean uh, and i like i'm not good at it uh i mean thank you that is correct um i meant that only positively. No, I, no, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just like, it, 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 it's it's a double-edged sword too, right? Um, I'm not negging you, I promise. Something I will bring up with my therapist. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, as long as I get mentioned at, with your therapist, that's all oh, that matters. For sure. And I mean, like, I think a good, like, historical example of that, um, and I think that maybe this, like, speaks to how kind of, like, 
out of a mediocre conclusion I felt the episode was that we're we're talking about other things. But like when I when I was in piano lessons as a kid, um I wouldn't really do the homework and I wouldn't practice, but I was so good at sight reading that I could kind of like fake my way through it and it made my sister like really frustrated because she would practice but wasn't as like naturally good at sight reading as I am. So like she would like again like yeah. So So today I learned that you played piano. I mean, not well. I didn't practice. I know, but, like, I literally had no idea. How many years did you pretend to practice piano? <laughs> um, It wasn't very long. I mean, it was, like, probably, like, a couple. My sister, like, stayed with it, like, a lot longer than I did. Right. Um, like, could she probably still play piano? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she can. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, I, I the- can, like, read music and stuff to a certain degree yeah. still, but, like... So I was like the worst of both worlds um, because I took clarinet for one year and didn't practice and was terrible. So not only did I not practice and was terrible, the music teacher basically told my mom that I needed to stop (laughs) because not because I like didn't have natural talent. I just like wasn't interested in practicing. So like, what's the point at that point? Like, if you're not good and you are not practicing, like, it's just a waste of money. Yeah. I think I I liked the idea. I liked the idea of playing an instrument more than I liked playing an instrument. Yeah. Yeah, I did clarinet as well for a couple years in in junior high band. Hmm. True. Okay. So, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. Do you think that the rest of the changelings, as I'm going to call them going forward, because Mm -hmm. that they've reclaimed that term um looked how they did because they wanted to make odo comfortable like if our everyone probably remembers and if you don't i'm gonna remind you odo was kind of mimicking dr moro when he took his humanoid shape so like i doubt the rest of these folks these other changelings know what dr mora looks like so they probably yeah. are just kind of copying odo is what i think i think that's as like good of a like reason to explain it like i from a production like standpoint i understand it because again you want to make them look like it's like that kind of visual oh totally. shorthand yeah but yeah it's like the, the, the earlier episodes make such a big deal about how you know odo has dr mora's hair and like all of this yeah. stuff so it's I'm, I'm sure it's probably like i think the head canon to make it that way is is completely reasonable how i answered it is why put on like because it talks about how faces are difficult for odo right that's why you know right. he looks the way he does um it's like, like that's canon so like my my thought when i was watching this episode in the bath um, was why put on a difficult <laughs> face when you can just put on the changeling version of sweatpants why get all gussied up and you know dress up when you have visitors in your home and you're comfortable with them and you know you can just wear your sweatpants that's fair we love sweatpants Mm -hmm. i was really surprised because i didn't remember this episode to see garrick um that made me really really happy just like he was just on our team and that that was good but i have more on garrick in a bit i don't know if you want to start i kind of felt like there's a lot going on with Odo and obviously Kira's with him in this episode. And then there's a lot going on with our Deep Space Nine crew. So I kind of separated my thoughts into those two groups. 
And that totally makes sense because, like, I think it's, like, pretty clear that, like, the Odo on the Changeling homeworld stuff, like, co-starring Kira is, like, the A-plot. And the political melodrama on the station is kind of the B-plot. And then, of course, they, like, converge to, to come together. Yeah. Um, Which would you prefer to talk about first? Um, I'm cool with either. I think the media stuff is in, like, the Odo and Kira stuff. So, like, let's start... Start there, and then, like, because the DS9 stuff, like, is it's even though it's fake. supposed to take over a certain period... <laughs> Sorry, was that? I said it's all fake. <laughs> yeah, and even though it's supposed to take over, like, a longer period of time, it's, like, really clear that it kind of has, like, dream logic a little bit, too. So, like, yeah. it happens, like, really fast, and, like, we could surprise yeah, it sure. there. Um, you know we love dream logic. <laughs> so, um, this fabulous. episode introduces us to the concept of the Great Link being that or, the... what some might say, when to become one. Need some love like I never needed love before. Make love, love to, to you, baby. baby. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but I had to throw in some Spice Girls. <laughs> well, I just like so like the Changelings slash founders, spoiler alert, I guess the founders of the Dominion, um... <laughs> On their natural, like, kind of state is they're just chilling, you know, in this collective great link, this mingling of thought, word, deed, thought, and, like, which, like, seems really cool to a certain degree. And, like, Odo's existence has been so far removed from that. And, like, the idea of, like, being that outsider and, like, that part where you kind of, like, find your community and, like, being accepted. And it's just... (sighs) The great link is, like kind of one of those like nebulous things and i'm sure we'll get more more insight into it like as the series goes but like it's so big yet so specific where it's like it's like this deep form of like intimacy and like understanding but also like you don't really like explain it either so it's like it's kind of like it can mean whatever you want it to mean you know what I mean? Like when trying to look for analogs or parallels or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't have anything to add to that. I don't know why I said um. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had regarding people who have been victims then victimizing other people. And that was something that I couldn't stop thinking about through the second half of this episode regarding the founders. I just, it made me think about Israel and Palestine a lot. Um, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, so I don't need to elaborate on that very much, but that was definitely something that came to mind when watching this episode. And, like, that, the idea of, like, settler colonialism, like, as done by the the Cardassians, as done by the Federation, and, like maybe somewhat done by like the dominion into certain degree like you know different kind of flavors like definitely a little bit more like i think oh like fashy about it um whether intentional or not it's something that as we go through on this podcast i think like and its willingness to kind of to a certain degree press up against this and explore it is probably why ds9 i think holds up really well for being like a 90s show you know and is like 
old as it is and like you know in some ways like the 90s stuff like is kind of cringe and like really comes through but other times like there's there's a lot here to explore and like even the fact that like it's almost like i guess to pick up your metaphor as a white anglo-saxon protestant um (laughs) so maybe i'm standing on like shaky ground here but like this was odo's like high school trip to israel sponsored by the government and he saw what they were all about and he's like oh maybe i don't want to pick up on my right of return right now like you know what i mean i have to tell um, you that you mean this is elisa's experience um though mine was not subsidized by the government as much as it was the jewish federation because i did not do birthright i did a different trip but i pretty much like came home losing all faith and yeah <laughs> flashbacks hmm <laughs> Because my, my trip was five and a half weeks. It wasn't like the week or two that birthright is. Yeah. We weren't allowed to go into the Palestinian section of Jerusalem. I say very sarcastically. Um, but we did anyway. And the only reason we were allowed back is because we were American, I think. Like, I feel like we had to show, you know, it was just like, I just remember it being like a huge crowd of people that were just crammed together and like us trying to get back through the quote unquote border. And that would have been like through like the um, Israeli security, like to prove that you could go Correct. back to Correct. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like one of our tour guides took us and like she wasn't supposed to. But she, I appreciated that she, I mean, she was probably in college. I, I was 17 and she was very much like, we're not supposed to, but it's fine. And I appreciated that perception that she had because it really was fine. We all survived. We all, you know, we lived through it. Um, and I don't specifically remember what we did over there. I feel like we just went to, like, vendor stalls and stuff and, like, looked around. Like, I don't think it was anything crazy. But, like, you know, it was really this, like, nothing different than what was happening on the other side. You know what I mean? Yeah. But just the idea of, like, the, like, program seeking to, like, control what you folks were, like, exposed yeah. to. And to, like... Exactly. Mm-hmm whitewash it as much as possible right so yeah and it was so it was interesting like when i was that age there was two trips that i could have gone gone on one of them is with this group that's called usy it's like a conservative judaism israel trip it was a little more expensive actually than the one i went on i went on the less religious one so like even though i grew up going to a conservative synagogue we um i went to the trip that the reform synagogues had because i the other one like you prayed like three times a day it was very religious um this one was a little looser which is good because i am not a religious person and honestly i was not that interested in praying still i'm not anyway so it was really, like, I was glad that we went with, like, the less religious group. And I say we because a friend of mine went with me. Um, and, yeah, it was, like, 
you know, we stayed with an Israeli family one weekend. Another weekend, you can stay with your own family if you had family there, which I did do that. My friend and I went and stayed with my mom's, like, distant cousins, and they were wonderful. And I got so drunk that I threw up. Um, That was probably the first time I ever got sick from drinking. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so it was just very, like, very Jewish the whole trip. But, yeah, very – it was – even though it was, like, the more reform, it was still very pro-Israel, obviously. That's where the trip was, too. And don't get me wrong, I had a wonderful time, and I will cherish that trip forever. I'm so glad I went. But yeah, Israel has real shit politics and does really shitty things. So the other thing, the one last thing I remember from that trip is one of my friends on my trip got, got, excuse me, hold on. We found out that JFK Jr. had died. (laughs) I like, that's the only at-home news that I remember. So just to give you an idea, that is when it was. It was 1999. I reminisced for a very long time. <laughs> no, like, don't... I mean, yes, but no, it's 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 good. And I'm just, like, sitting with this a little bit, and I don't want to be too, like, twee about it or whatever, but, like, I'm... like, And I know we've sort of... Uh, struggled might be too dramatic of a word, but I'll use it. We've kind of like, you know, struggled in, in, in tracking, you know, had frustrations with Odo for the first two seasons as we record this podcast. And like, Odo will remain a frustrating character in in a lot of ways throughout the run of the series. But and I don't want to make something like incredibly complex, really like simple, but like, I'm just sitting with like, the pathos that Oda would have had through the lens of what you just shared in, in, in your experience. And like, even the fact that there's the door to keep what's behind it locked in and, mm-hmm. you know, all of, all of that stuff that leads to the reveal that, you know, the B plot is happening. It's like a test that they're, they're doing to see how these, these people, the solids, the Federation will react and what price they'll, they'll pay for peace and security, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like the female changeling or female presenting changeling. And the other ones are like, again, trying to convince Odo that it's all great by like lying to him and like not showing him the full, the, the full extent. And I mean, that's very much dies with what it sounds like your, your trip was. And I mean, it's, yeah. And like, even to make it like a little bit like, you know, less specific to, um, apartheid in the middle east um that's even what like what happens like it's what parents do with their children it's like what you know western liberal governments will will do here like you know hiding the truth in canada of canada's legacy of oh again apartheid and genocide and and and, you know residential schools Mm -hmm. and 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 things like that and it's just yeah it's like there's a lot more pathos here in the Odo stuff than like I think I let myself realize until we we started talking about it and like started recording because again like I think this episode is just fine (laughs) I like I remembered all of the twists and like I like you know what I mean like I don't think it hits the same like when you've seen it before I think it's like a little bit of like diminishing returns but I don't think those returns 
aren't going to be as diminished for me going forward because of our conversation. Yeah, that that makes sense. Well, I think that's nice because I think that, well, for me, and not to be like, I don't know what the right word is, not to be very like, I don't mean, I don't mean selfish. That's not what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't get to talk about, I don't talk about it that often, like my trip and my relationship to Judaism or Israel. Like, I don't, it's not things I talk about very often. So I appreciate that you are interested and that it will stay with you. And even the fact that like as much of an outsider as Odo has both been made to feel and and has been throughout his like, you know, life and the labs and like even on Deep Space Nine, he actively sees the founders and the Dominion for what it is and he views like and again, this is the complicated Odo thing where he's like, I value justice, this is unjust. And then they're like, no, you value order. That's what we, we seek to bring. Um, the safest spot in the universe for Odo is in the Great Lake with the Founders, right. where he is accepted for like who he is. And like, you know, and they need to be and complicit no in, their, there, except for in like, their actions and go. et cetera, et cetera. But like, yeah, it's sorry. I'm still just sitting with this and I'm kind of like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Um. <laughs> so All right. I have a question because yes. I, so before I get into my silly thing, I was gonna say, um, what do you? I don't know if it's just me because the lately, and this happened. I told you before we started recording. This even happened when I was watching Downton Abbey: A New Era last night. I feel like I've become one of those people that keeps expecting everyone on television or in a movie to be lying. And I don't like that because I'm often overthinking what's happening. So like when the founder, the head like changeling lady was telling Odo about how they had been um, persecuted and all this stuff. I didn't think she was lying about that. That's not what I mean. No. Um, I felt like, I didn't know if I believed her that Odo was one of these, like, 100 infants that were sent out to find more about the galaxy. I, like, expected that to, like, not be true for some reason. But I can't even understand what, like, benefit that would have had to the story. So I just, like, I feel like my brain was just, like, over, like, working overtime to, like, make this episode into, like, more. I don't know why. But... What did you think about the fact that they, like, had apparently sent these hundred infants out to explore the galaxy with, like, no confidence that they would ever return home, which Odo kind of points out to them? Well, I don't know if they had no confidence that they'd return home, but, like, basically, they said they weren't expecting him for, like, another, like, 300-ish years or whatever, right? Which makes me wonder, like, how long changelings live and, like do we still have changelings in the great link from like the early days of the dominion? Like, right. Like, you know, and the ways in which again, generational trauma, like informs the changeling like pathos. Right. Um, and like, I think maybe it's like set them out, like as kind of like a almost like fact finding sort of thing. So like, I think, yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. I think, like, the whole concept, and I think I remember, like, 
reading this when I was doing research for like the first part of for the search part one like probably from the it, i probably write out memory alpha via the deep space nine companion um but the concept was that the fa- the dominion was aware of the federation and the alpha quadrant and everything else um somehow i don't who knows but like <laughs> the discovery of the wormhole basically moves up the timetable and it's like the, it brings these two civilizations into conflict a lot a lot quicker right um so yeah one thing that i really because this episode was very um serious there weren't a lot of laughs i did find the scene where kira's basically like talking to every object in that cute forest (laughs) thinking one of them might be odo and then saying, I'm talking to a tree, it was very funny. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like, I don't think I even realized that she, like, when the, the season, when the season, I meant when the scene started, I thought she was just talking out loud to herself. And until until she said, I'm talking to a tree, I was very much like, oh, she thinks one of these items is Odo. I, I was like really slow while watching this. I, like, my brain was not functioning but yeah Uh, what stressed me out about that scene was it's like she thinks she's talking out and knows he's been (laughs) shape-shifting in the garden and she's like telling him all about like you know the mysterious communications blackout and all of that anyone could have been listening (laughs) yeah it's like how do you know that that tree that you think is odo isn't like whatever the founders like i know she knows doesn't know that they're the founders yet right right we know that there's something going on with them so I kind of loved I kind of loved when she found that door because I'm semi obsessed with the trope when you're like someone kind of like infiltrates this like supposedly idealistic society and then there's like a secret door to some shady stuff and you find out it's like a weird cult um cuz that's kind of like not untrue of what happened but also it just reminded me of like every show ever that has like a cult episode Specifically, this one where on Veronica Mars, where one of Veronica, this is when she was still in high school. So I think it, I don't remember if it was season one or season two, but like this one rich, I mean, all of her classmates were pretty much rich. Uh, they were either very rich or very poor. There was like very few people in the middle. Um, and this one rich guy's grandmother died, and his family was worried he was going to like give all of his inheritance to this cult or whatever. And so Veronica, like, infiltrates it, which she shouldn't be because, like, her dad, who's, like, an actual private investigator, is, like, hired on this case. So her, like, she her meddling kind of, like, whatever. Went against what her dad was doing. That's not really the important part. Anyway, so they had this whole greenhouse situation. And so, like, Veronica's, like, oh, they're... Veronica's really judgmental. And while I love the show, like, she's kind of a shitty person. And is very judgy of anything involving sex or drugs or, like, those kind of things. So she's, like, assuming it's, like, a pot farm or whatever. But, like, they were just growing poinsettias, and it was, like, really sweet, actually. But, yeah, they were still culty and weird, but, like, they weren't doing anything illegal in that sense. Um, That being said, I did worry while the sh- while Kira was telling Odo about, like, at least just finding the door... That Odo was going to be, like, defensive about his, the rest of his people. 
because yeah. I think that that's something that happens a lot in other shows where like people found this perfect society and they're like, oh, this is so great, blah, blah, blah. He didn't react that way. He was like, you know, it wasn't awkward. He knows Kira. He trusts Kira. Um, he was like, that's weird. My people don't need doors. And it just, I was happy that he didn't react in like a defensive way because I think that that would have been really boring and cliche storytelling. Odo has such an elf unhealthy distrust of everything and everyone except Kira. Um so like it definitely like fits with his character but like I think that's also like informs how he relates to the world around him for better or worse and like that even extends to meeting everyone meeting the the other changelings and and finding his home world right yeah for sure it would have been in like and in fairness though it is like a bit of a like 180 from how much of a prick he was being last episode about like being drawn to the nebula and everything else like it it really you're right it really easily could have gone the other way but yeah he was being like well i mean part of that is that I think there was some other unknown force making him act that way that I don't think it matters to get into whatever it was or wasn't. Um, <coughs> but yeah, so, yep, I agree. Do you want to get into a little bit about the Deep Space Nine crew before we uh, get to the end where the two groups meet? Sure. <coughs> so this is where I out myself. In true Elise fashion, I was, like, really having a hard time figuring out, like, when the dream part was happening or started or whatever. So this is my thought, and I think I have it right. But, like, everything in the part one happened. Yes. And then, except for what happened with Odo and Kira, everything that happened in this episode with the other everyone else was part of the, like, dream. Yes. Or, That's like, the, you know... Okay, that makes sense. So it's like they were, whenever the thing happened where Odo and Kira left, they got captured and got put in these, as I call them late. Later, they got matrixed up up together. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that makes sense. That's my understanding. So I don't think that there's like a ton to discuss about this. Basically, you know, and the part of that for me is the fact that this part of the storyline, because we know it didn't really happen, it doesn't hit the same for me on second watch. Um, yeah. Because it seems so fantastical to, like, what we know about Starfleet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the fact that they would just be like, fuck the Romulans again. Like, that, like none of that makes sense to me. Um, and I did feel like on rewatch, like, this part of the plot, like, is suffered the most. For me. That being said, and as we said earlier, I think the acting is really good. Like, Avery Brooks is believable and delivers his lines extremely well. Like, and his outrage is really obvious. Um, his That one line reading of, I haven't even begun, is so angry and good. I just, I just really liked it. But yeah, yeah. Like, in general, it just doesn't hit for me the second time around. Yeah, like, I think there's supposed to be this, like, disorienting sense, disorienting sense of what's going on. This is so weird. Like, we're supposed to, like, feel that churn, like, Cisco sure. and the rest of the, like, characters 
are. Um, but when you know what the game is, it's just like yeah. you can see it for as like somewhat nonsensical as it is. But like I, it's interesting to me like. It reminds me How of the, that, that sorry, O'Brien episode. The, uh, the O'Brien episode with like the robot or whatever. Oh, with the replicant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like um, it kind of makes you think of that. Yeah, although I think that is probably a better version of this type. No, of no, plot, probably because it's agree. like sorry. centered yeah, in, that was, in the replicant. Yeah, that was also like more entertaining because it got to be funny. We're like, well, except for like the weird part where like. Um, Keiko had to like go along with it with Molly that was weird but like that was kind of more silly this is like really serious yeah and I think it was also interesting too and it must have been like some tech mumbo jumbo thing that how like you know they have this the accuracy in the shared dream but like okay um Eddington was was there but it wasn't really Eddington Quark was there it wasn't right. really Quark you mean um, capitalist Martin Luther Quark yeah. Jr. Well, and that's and that's what I'm like getting at right and then like Garrick of course <laughs> being Garrick where it's like Garrick and Quark specifically like that they felt very like they were probably like some of the most believable aspects in the situation because like yeah because I really think not Quark actually being part act- of the sim yeah. they were them they're themselves but also right? like how did so this is a like logistical question as I am known to ask how did the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar or whatever machines those guys were hooked up to know that that is how Quark and Garrick act. Like, did they take that information from their brain and reuse it? Like, that is what I don't understand. I don't need to fully understand it, but I enjoy discussing what might be the cause of that. (laughs) Like, how did they get those so right? Those people weren't one of the ones that they captured, so... Yeah, I, I, guess, I would assume that. I guess good job, it Dominion. You, it was funny. <laughs> you you got those two real right. <laughs> One thing I did, and like I did like about the heightened plot of the simulation, which on face value feels very anti Starfleet and anti Federation, how they wouldn't act, but also like I think. That is how they act. It just has a a different veneer on it normally and isn't so open about it. But this this whole like context of like, oh, the Dominion's big, powerful, and scary, and they don't want the Romulans here, and like we're more scared of the um scared of the Dominion than the Romulans, so we'll exclude them. And then we're going to give up Bajor, which we have no actual legitimate claim for basically give up Bajoran sovereignty without their knowledge to the dominion yeah. right yeah. and then they like and that's what leads to kind of like the hiding thing and it's like, like the, it just like on second watch it just none of it made sense but on first watch i took it at such face value because i well, forgotten. But, yeah but like and i know that the episode was like oh this is like crazy and you know whatever whatever but like this is what the federation did to the colonies in the demilitarized zone in the treaty with Cardassia. So So the Federation has done this before. Yeah, It's just a more heightened version of that because they don't, you know, they're removing um, the right to self-determination and like self-sovereignty of the Bajorans that they nascently say they want them to have and to join the Federation and things like that, right? Like they're, it reminded me a lot of, um, 
like in Canadian in so-called Canadian history and like the westward expansion um that led to like the tr- what we call the like the treaty system with um indigenous indigenous nations um the Hudson's Bay Company had a fur trade monopoly in what was at time like a lot of western Canada called the the Northwest Territory um so they had a monopoly the to tor- do territory. commerce there what's that I, I was just chiming in to say I've heard of the Northwest Territory. Um, <laughs> so they had had to uh, a trade franchise, like you know, right? And so they they gave land, they sold land to the Canadian government that they didn't own. Oh yeah, this all sounds very familiar. As part of like Canada's like westward expansion, so it's like and that yeah, so it's like here's land that we had you know royal assent from the crown to be the only like people who did capitalism here and now we're selling it like we own it to the canadian government yeah and then the canadian government went out and like made treaties that they're not really honoring with a bunch of the like indigenous nations like there's a whole series of them and like yeah it's we can get more more into it like off pod because i don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole but it's like this shit happens and like yeah it's supposed to feel like fantastical like for the federation and like how far are they willing to accept but it's like it's only fantastical because like normally starfleet star trek puts a little bit more effort into the veneer of like the federation doing shit like this because it does shit like this all the time yeah i got you i think we're at the end of the episode where our two stories meet Odo and Kira find our friends matrixed together although I felt like it was a little more vertical than the matrix chairs but um, that's not really that important (laughs) um I did wonder how they connected to them we didn't really see that aspect of it like, were they permanently... You can't see me, but I'm yeah. waving my hand in front of the microphone. Yeah, no, I got you. <laughs> but, like, did they give them ports? Or, like, was it, like, a needle that, like... <laughs> how do you fix that afterwards? I have so many questions. Um, sometimes I think, like, how did I not become, like, an engineer? <laughs> because, like, I'm always like, how did this work? How does that work? And then I'm like... I can't even figure out when the dream started in these episodes, so that's why I haven't become an engineer. I feel like I'm, you know, sometimes I'm, like, real inquisitive and sometimes I'm just real dumb. So, fun times. Um, So, the Changelings are the Dominion. They're our founders. Not our founders. They're the founders. Deep Space Nine's our. I don't mean our founders. I don't think that I had been found. seven years ago. (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't think that I'm a found person. I just exist. Um, I Obviously, that did not hit at all this time because I already knew that. But I am really curious if when I post this online, anyone who watched this episode for the first time, I would really, really, really love to know what people thought of that reveal. So please add us and um, tell us how you felt about that reveal if this was your first time watching or if you remember your first time watching this episode and how you felt about that because I legitimately don't remember what I thought when this I have to I should go look back to see if I tweeted about it when I watched it the first time 
Do you at all remember how you felt with that reveal when you learned it? No, I don't like. I don't even remember the first time I saw this episode. Like, right? To be honest, and like, I probably I don't think I regularly started watching DS Nine when it was airing until like maybe season four, like when I was like regularly watching it. Because what this came out in ninety four. Um, do do do. So I would have been what? How old? Yeah, I would have been eight when this like originally came out, so I don't remember like watching. But I like, I remember watching the season four premiere like the next year. Um, I guess what a difference between eight and nine. Who the fuck knows? And so like by that point, it had been like some of the stuff had already been established and things like that. Like, so like I remember like starting to watch deep space nine regularly in like 95 and 96. That's when I start kind of having like memories and like my strongest memories of like my first time watching deep space nine are like stuff in the seventh season, like in 99, um, where I have like distinct memories. Right. Um, because I was in like junior high at that point, but uh, right, right. yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've seen these episodes and 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 gone back, but like it wasn't kind of the same like sort of reveal because I wasn't like following it like I follow um, shows now, right? Or even yeah. like when I watched, you know, Enterprise being the first one I like distinctively watched from the beginning and then dropped off of first kind of watching more regularly mid run, right? So right. Well, things are so. I mean, it's. I find I remember things from, like, and I say pre-internet because people should know that, like, Google pretty much just be- started becoming popular when I went to college. Not, like, like I didn't, Before like, we had to ask Jeeves. Yeah. I mean, before we had, like, Yahoo and, like, whatever. Um, I don't know that I ever used Ask Jeeves, but I do appreciate that you called that out. Um, so basically what I'm saying is like maybe pre, pre-college cause college is the first time that I like had, um, live journal. I had live journal. Um, I had online friends for the first time. So like before that is what I mean. Um, it's not, and I don't say it's not like, obviously some people had internet in high school and actually, you know, I did too, but I was on like AOL, I was on Prodigy and then AOL and like my parents did a really good job of like using those parental controls. Um, there wasn't that whole thing of like, I just watched this thing. Now I'm going to go talk about it on the internet. Like there wasn't, there wasn't that. So like if people didn't in my, this is my experience. If people weren't into it, like in your immediate surrounding, like you didn't really talk about it. So a lot of these things that I would watch in the 90s, like, I just wouldn't remember because I would watch it once and then never think about it again. But now, even if I watch it once, you know, I'm tweeting about it or talking about someone, talking about it with someone who who likes it, and it's just my ability to remember the plots of things that I've discussed is much higher than, oh, I saw it once and never thought about it again. Which it seems like obvious. I don't think I'm making like a grand statement here, but it is. I do find like I don't remember things from back then where like 
And I don't mean it like in a, oh, well, that was a long time ago and this I watched, you know, a couple years ago. But like, obviously that will have something to do with it. But I need to just finish making the statement without giving like a million different like ancillary comments on it. Like, it just is different the way we talk about things that we watch and like with our friends now. So it just is easier to remember because we've talked about it to death, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so what you're saying is discourse is good? Um, it can be, yeah. <laughs> it jogs the memory well. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. Okay. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> So I don't know about you, Elise, but I wasn't particularly thirsty for anyone in this episode. Um, um, I would agree with that. Um, I did not think about sex at one point, at any point during this. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. <laughs> what about most Star Trek thing? Did you know most Star Trek thing or most Star Trek moment of this episode? Um, I think it was just the fact that it was all a dream and I'm sad I already used my juicy quote because I meant to just <laughs> save it till now, but I got so excited earlier. Um, yeah, the fact that it was all a dream felt very, very Star Trek to me. What about you? Uh, yeah, that's that's probably mine as well. Um, I'm just quickly mentally like replaying the episode in my mind. Um O'Brien gets beat up. I guess that would be a uh, a good one too. Oh that was, yeah, you know, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, until next time, Elise. Where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Elise underscore Tendi E L Y S E underscore T E N D I. And you? Yeah, I can find me on Twitter and Letterbox as well at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths, and you can email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice, and thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.